And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, if you've been tuning in over the last couple of months to Straight From The Source, you've heard me talk about the GameTime app and how it can save you some serious cash on last-minute tickets to sports, concerts, and all types of shows. Well, now's your time to take advantage of this. If you're a Wild fan, you may be shocked that the season has actually started. The Wild have already played 23 road games, but now the home slate really starts. 18 of the next 22 games over a seven-week span are at home, including matinees Saturday and Monday against Winnipeg and Calgary. So now's your chance to take advantage of game time and see what it's all about. Game time is hooking you up for the holidays with a $10 credit. Here's what to do. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store. Click on the My Ticket section of the app, create an account, then under the Billing section, redeem the code THEATHLETIC. Once again, that's The Athletic, all one word, for $10 off your first purchase. That's free money, people. Credit is only available to the first 1,000 people who redeem this code and expires at the end of the year. That's December 31st, 2019. So move quick and score last-minute tickets with game time. sitting here on a beautiful uh, Thursday afternoon in uh, Glendale, suburban Phoenix, Glendale, Arizona. Uh, thank you for tuning in to Straight from the Source, the latest Straight from the Source with Michael Russo. To subscribe to The Athletic, if you are listening on Apple or Spotify, please go to theathletic.com slash straight from the source. That will get you in for 40% off uh, for the annual rate. I'm really, really happy to be joined uh, by a, uh, well, really a longtime Phoenix Coyote uh, now the assistant GM of the Minnesota Wild, Tom Curvers, Bloomington Jefferson's own, 
uh, Minnesota Duluth's own. And you worked for the, the Coyotes actually for eight or nine seasons, starting as the radio analyst, right? Eleven seasons. Yeah. Uh, so I started here in 97 as the uh, radio color guy. Yep. And uh, it was a really uh, good way to step back into the NHL after my career ended in 95. Um, I spent a year in Japan playing hockey, which was an experience in itself. And then I spent a year at the University of St. Thomas finishing a graduate degree. And, the, and I knew Bobby Smith from playing days in Montreal. And the job came my way and I came down here and I really enjoyed the year on radio and then switched into scouting in year two and did 10 years in the scouting department here and at the Coyotes. What made you go from radio to, to working for the team? Did, was it just something that you said, hey, I want to do this now, I want to get more involved, or, or is there a story there? Well, the, the offer came during the draft of 98, and I didn't have a contract to do the radio again, so I don't know if that meant I wasn't very good <laughs> at it, or uh, this was a job offer, and then you could stay put in the house we owned in Scottsdale. So uh, I, I accepted it and started in as a pro scout right then, and uh, made the just made the switch um, without really having two things to choose from. That that offer came and I grabbed it. How um and you were director of player personnel eventually. You're even an assistant coach at one point. Uh, starting in Phoenix, right, playing at the old America West Arena, where ha- half the rink you couldn't sit in because of uh, had obstructed view. I remember that place because the press box was in the lower bowl, which was like the greatest sightline ever. Um, the, the, what? W- how have you seen this market change to being out here now in Glendale? Well, it was a it it was a big deal. You know, the first year, I came in year two of the franchise here, and the first year they had a playoff series with Anaheim that went seven games. And those playoff games, well, that season, they filled up America West, but like you said, I think 4,000 of the seats were obstructed view. So they were somewhat empty, but my good friend Todd Walsh actually came up with an idea then. They called it the Doghouse, and he brought in live music. (laughs) And it was kind of the precursor to some of the things you see around the league and really... Uh, around sports now um, where he brought a band called the Pistoleros in there and they were a big local hit mm-hmm. and uh, they sold the tickets for 10 bucks and it became an event to be sitting in the crummy seats so some of the nights it was filled um, it was it was a good experience at America West the, the arena is very intimate yeah and I was down here for a Springsteen show a couple of uh, years back and realized standing on the, we had good seats. One of my buddy had a hook, buddies had a hook for tickets. And looking around, realizing how tight that arena really was, if not for the 4,000 seats that couldn't see their near net, it would have been a great place to continue on. But that was a problem. And then the change in the franchise when they moved west, it was dramatic and it was for the worst. Yeah. It, it just didn't support things out here and never has. It's been a little bit of a star crossed franchise in that regard uh, difficulties with ownership along the way and maybe that's changed for the better now with their new owner um, this arena is away from their original fan base and they've had a hard time with all that but it's a nice arena yeah and it's a beautiful area out here and great my, arena district yeah they they built it up around here and you know my dad lives 10 minutes west of here and so now when I've been coming back here to scout, I've been on the west side more than where I lived in Scottsdale, and uh, it's nice out here. It's just they lost their original fan base, and they were unable to replace it. Yeah, it is uh, It is. It's one of my favorite trips. We'll be coming here more often uh, 
as long as they don't relocate. Uh, we'll be coming here more often uh, when they move into the Central Division in two years once Seattle uh, enters the NHL. You mentioned the great Jim Curvers, uh, your father, uh, who played, I believe, 110 rounds of golf last year. I don't know what he's up to this year. Well, right now he's up to a couple of uh, cortisone shots in his uh. shoulders yesterday, so he's trying to keep his numbers up on the golf course by taking care of that for a little while. Here, he's, he's down a little this week. Football player at North Dakota State was on the great Hopkins basketball teams that won state championships back in the 50s. Correct. Uh, and now uh, I would assume that's where you got your – you were a three-sport letter at, at Bloomington Jefferson. That's where you got your, your athleticism? I would – I would think so. He was he was real good. He was a he played four years of varsity baseball in in you know the original Lake Conference and it was a it was competitive and he played on those state championship basketball teams and one really neat thing was those teams in the fifties had some you know name brand players that anybody that's been around that saw those teams would know their names. Chimperly brothers being kind of the prominent names, but. Four of his teammates showed up for my mother's funeral down here. Wow! A couple of years back, and I met these guys, and uh, and one of them uh, has a grandson playing pro hockey. So it, it's a small world. It's you know we're in the hockey world, but that's that those guys stuck together, and and he's still locked in with his high school buddies. It's pretty neat to see. That is really cool. Um, again, we're talking with Tommy Curver. So Tommy fixture in in scouting row before you ever worked for the Wild. Uh, we came to a lot of Wild games. When you're working with the Tampa Bay Lightning for a long, long time there. Um, legend of Bloomington, Jefferson, uh, you always say that you weren't even the best player on your high school team, but you were kind of on those first Jefferson pa- teams before they became a true powerhouse in the 90s. I uh, then went and became, I believe, the first Duluth player to ever win a Hobie Baker. Yes. And, yes. Uh, and now, obviously, assistant GM of the Minnesota Wild, general manager of the Iowa Wild. Um, let's talk about your high school days uh, a bit. Uh, Jay North was you always uh, always said was the best player on that team. Yeah, may have been the best player in the state. Uh-huh. So uh, he had a terrific year our senior year. You know, we grew up very near each other, played backyard games together. So our our neighborhood. We also had a fellow named Paul Guest who lived between us, drafted by the Canadians. So we had a high level athletic environment. Uh, a guy named John Bianchi was sort of uh, a presence and then he was an assistant coach for our high school team but he had a sports uh, bearing on everything that went on in in the Jefferson youth program in that area and and in a good way he was good to kids he was he, he demanded competitiveness so so he was a neighbor the other way four days four four or five doors down so our neighborhood was our backyard games were high level and and we just had a number of guys that went and played, whether it was Division One or Division Two college hockey, um, and and so we all pushed each other, without having to leave town or, or go play on in a different league, and it was it was really something to look back on. Now everything's changed, but I just happened to grow up with a bunch of good athletes in the neighborhood. I mean, walking distance, and so we all improved because of that. And Jay North was. Uh, and it's not you're not making anything. He was the best player in the state that year. He was he was the all state centerman. He scored a hat trick in the region final. He scored a hat trick in the first state tournament game, and then we ran into John Casey in the semifinals. So, you know, we cry in our beer now about losing <laughs> in the semifinals. But it was John Casey. There just haven't been that many goalies that w- he, they went on and won the state tournament for Grand Rapids. 
haven't been that many goalies that have won a state tournament and played in the NHL. We happen to run into one. What was the game that uh, that uh, LaPanta was telling me about over breakfast today where Jay North, I think, scored in overtime against Irondale? And uh, and and that was where Lapanta was supposed to go to high school. He wound up at Tino Grace, but this was in Anthony was in junior high school. Yeah, he's a little younger than me, so he was watching those games as yeah. you look up to older kids. And we were glued into the same stuff, so he was watching the tournament the same way I was five year pre five years previous to him, watching these guys, knowing their names, knowing who they were on the different teams in the tournament, and he. He remembers that Jay North, and Jay North had a hat trick against Irondale. I think we beat them 5-2 to two on the Thursday night game. And he, he, scored a, he scored a goal kind of holding a guy off and kind of one-handed a goal, you know, memorable. And he certainly remembers it. And, you know, those things, it's part of the hockey community, how tight everything is, that you just keep bumping into people, whether it's high school, college, or pro. And, you know, we kind of live in press boxes and, and Marriott concierge lounges and these yeah. stories come up and, and they bring a smile to everyone's face. Well, it's funny you said that because when you left the concierge lounge this morning, I went over to the referees and it's, it is funny. Like a lot of my learning about hockey, friendships that I've made in hockey are all in Marriott concierge lounges. And just, you know, you walk up to Greg Dvorsky and Ian Walsh, who are two of the officials tonight in Arizona, and you just, it's like your old buddies, you know, you're just talking hockey, you're talking about stuff that's going on in the league. It's kind of the cool part of the fraternity that we witnessed last year with you when you were first diagnosed with uh, lung cancer, which we'll talk more about on the podcast. But when I saw you in the press box with, with those pro scouts that kept on coming up to you, you realize how long the the ladder is or the steps are to get to where you are now. I mean, everybody knows each other. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a terrific community. If if you could build your own community and have all the all the people you wanted around you, it would you know, for us it would be a bunch of hockey people. Yeah, I don't know my neighbors very well, <laughs> and they're nice people. I've met them. Right. But our hours are off. Our our calendar is off. Our 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 cadence of life is different than normal yeah and and we like it we know it we like it there's a sacrifice mm -hmm. that goes with it but that's what we've lived now you've done it on the reporting side i've done it with a team or or back when i played and you just grow into it and and that becomes your way of living the life and and i've enjoyed it along the way and i've enjoyed all of the people that i've met uh, along the way and and just so happens now these referees that we saw at breakfast or or I'll watch a game last night and see Eddie Olchuk and Brian yeah. Boucher screwing around on the broadcast about getting into the into the on-ice booth and <laughs> send them a text and I get a text back. Yep. And those are just guys that I've crossed paths with along the way. I played with Eddie and Brian was one of our players when I worked for the Coyotes and they're friends. Yeah. And we have an abundance of friends. We just see them in odd places yep. and but you walk into any press box and you have a handful of friends and, and I have a handful of friends and they're probably friends. It's why, it's why I've covered hockey forever. I mean, the fraternity is unreal. I even feel it on the reporting side. You, you know, you cover a, um, a Stanley Cup final or an NHL All-Star game or, or a draft 
and you don't see your your brethren for months, and yet it's like your best friends when you go out for a beer afterwards. Uh, it is a cool cool life. Um, we're talking with Tommy Curvers, a longtime Bloomington Jew, our four year Bloomington Jefferson uh, hockey player, went on to Duluth. Uh, very interesting NHL career as well. We'll talk about that. I also want to talk to you about the Isle Wild. Um, again, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify and want to join the Athletic, uh, just articles galore. Podcast galore, uh, theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Uh, one podcast that I would definitely listen to with the Winnipeg Jets coming into town this weekend is The Boarding Pass with Ken Weeb and Marat Eights, our two Winnipeg Jets writers up there in Winnipeg. So if you want to catch up on the Jets, definitely listen to that one. Um, Tommy, so you go from Jefferson on to Duluth. Uh, what was it like getting up there and playing hockey? I had been a Gopher fan yeah. starting in 74 or so. I started playing hockey in 71. Wasn't your dad a season ticket holder? And yeah. My dad, uh, we actually went to a bunch of, my dad was a basketball guy, so I was in the gym until about 71. My neighbor uh, was playing hockey. I jumped on board and went to, I went to a clinic, and that became a tryout camp for the very first Jefferson Squirt team. And shortly after that, uh, I'm on a hockey team, and I'm not playing basketball anymore. So in 74, my dad... Uh, kind of commandeered the company season tickets for Bermel's Maybe Realty. And, and people of age <laughs> will know who they were and remember the signs. But he got the company tickets from from the owners who knew that I was a kid playing hockey. And we had a handle on gopher tickets. And I was at a lot of games. So from 74, they won in 74. They won the title in 76. They won in 79. I watched those teams. I knew who those guys were. Bill Baker was my favorite player. I was a fan. I wanted to be a gopher. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a guy who's a friend of mine now, Brad Buto, didn't recruit me. And by that, I mean never called, <laughs> never had a visit, never, never had any interest. He wanted Jay North. He took our goalie from my high school team, and I wasn't on the list. Uh-huh. Now, I say that in jest because we've become friends, and we talk about this and laugh about <laughs> it in the way, same way we talk about our, all of our hockey buddies. But, so I ended up at Duluth, and I, I had a chance to go to Wisconsin, and... Uh, and Duluth was a better opportunity. And then, so for three years, I kind of kicked myself because Wisconsin won the title in 81 and 83, <laughs> lost the title in 82. So I could have been with that group of guys in three championship games, but my senior year, we actually my last two years, Mike Sertich took over our program mm-hmm. in 82. And I, and I, Gus Hendrickson recruited me and gave me an opportunity to play and forever thankful for that. Our program changed course when Mike Sertich took over in 82 to the benefit of a bunch of us that played together. And then his recruiting class of 82 to 86 was McIver, Bill Watson, who won the Hobie Baker in 85, Guy Goslin, who played in Olympic teams and, and in the NHL. Matt Christensen was our first-line center who would have played in the NHL if not for a medical uh, a stroke. He had a stroke at the end of his senior year. Um, we had Norm McIver was a three-time All-American. We just had good players. And we had Bob Mason and Nett uh, in 82-83. We had Rick Costi my senior year. We had good goaltending. We had a competitive team and lost the national championship my uh, senior year to a good team. Gary Galley, Dave Ellett, Gino Cavallini, and, and Bowling Green beat us in four overtimes. So Duluth was excellent and in every way. It was the right place for me. Our team got better. Uh, I played with a bunch of good guys, and we're still connected. And it it just it couldn't have been any better those four years. What was your what was it like winning the Hobie? I mean, did you when did the 
sort of the hype begin? Did you know that year that you were had a real good chance? Not at the start of the year. Yeah. At the start of the year, my mindset was I got one year left of hockey. I had been drafted, but Montreal never pursued me or made it, you know, indicated they want me to come out early. Mm-hmm. It wasn't happening that much anymore, but it was starting to happen. And um, I, I just played my college. I went into my senior year kind of determined to have a good year. We would had a good year my junior year. And things went right. Our team was better. And I was in a prominent role. I was a captain of the team. And we just kind of collectively made up our minds to, to, to go after it. And it, it rolled our way. And um, then I got my opportunity to turn pro. But at the end of that year, I'd say in the middle of the season, my stats were good. Our team was good. My roommate was Norm McIver. And another guy named Mark Odnikon, who's a dear friend. And uh, we're, we're hanging out in our apartment one day in early January and Norm's, I don't know, must have had some stats out or something. And he said, you know, you're going to win that award. And I kind of looked at him like, what are you talking about? I wasn't even thinking of it. And then our team actually, our team the last half of the year was so good. We were really good in the second half of that season. And um, I was scoring points and we were getting wins. And you look back on it, it was a great team and I got the attention of that great team at that moment but when i look back on it now the, the class of guys from 82 to 86 that i mentioned they were the stronghold of that and i was a real beneficiary of that and we did we all had a good year yeah norm mcgyver's longtime uh assistant gm with the chicago blackhawks uh today um what do you make of the program now like why are they so successful uh you know championships Frozen fours, even if they don't win the championship under Scott Sandlin, compared to obviously Minnesota State looks like they are really, really good right now. But compared to say what's going on with the Gophers and and trying to rebuild under Bob Mosco, I think Scott Sandlin went in there. I think he's the right guy for the right job in the right city. Uh, you know, he was interviewed for a couple NHL positions in the last couple of years. I think he's capable. Mm-hmm. I think he's in the right place coaching in Duluth. He's a He's from the Iron Range. Uh, there's a grit factor of living in Duluth, and and that just even the landscape is hard. Um, and and Scott's got it without bragging about it, without really showing it. He's just a hard guy, and and he's a good guy. And then he brings with him the sort of the North Dakota methodology of of recruiting and playing the game a certain way, and they recruit players that. They, they select players that fit all that, all of the above, and they find the right fits for the way they want to play. And it's been spectacular to watch. And it's been since 2011 when they won, even back when Al Stalock stole a, stole a regional at, at Mariucci, you know, they were starting to show some things that, that things could happen. And now you look back on it, that was all part of it too. And so much... The, the championship in 2011 for all of us that lost in 84 was really cool. The last two have been different for me and a couple I watched with McIver. And, and the, the first one was like I was with Bob Mason when, when they won their first one in 2011. And we acted like we'd won it. Yeah. And that was really cool. At XL Energy Center. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, we were down in the locker room. Yeah. And we had the trophy and everything. We were like we made ourselves part of it, yeah. which was fun. The the The... Then they lost in Chicago, and I was at that game with Norm McIver. And, and that was, you know, interesting to sit and watch that game with him in the final. And then they won 
when they won in in 2018 at XL again, I stood back and folded my arms more grandfatherly, where I was just proud of them. And then I watched it on TV last year, and I'm thinking, how is this happening? That's three years in a row if you count 12 uh, single elimination playoff games, all close games. They didn't wipe anybody out as far as I can remember. And they just keep coming up with the goods, except for the one game against uh, Denver in the final in, in Chicago. So I'm impressed. I think Scott does a good job. I think he's good to his players. And I think they respect him and they respect the program. And I'll give credit to Josh Burlow, the athletic director in Duluth, came from Notre Dame. Now, you know, of course, the budget's not the same in Duluth as, as it was for Notre Dame. But the big ideas were brought in with Josh Burlow. And, and he's done a nice job with the overall athletic program, but it's really helped the hockey program take these steps to yeah. have to have a guy from a big institution. I love Duluth, too. I love that arena. Um, you know, it's cool walking around that arena when the, when the Wild used to go up there for parts of training camp and seeing, you know, pictures of you and Mace all around there. But I just love, like, everything about the city. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, love the mayor, Emily Larson. I got to meet her once. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's uh, like, I just walking around downtown, um, some of the restaurants there, the picturesque Lake Superior. You, um, it's a great, great place. You know Duluth now. Yeah, yeah. So... You know, that Canal Park area, mm. when we were in school, there was one bar. It was owned owned by a guy named Butch Curran, and it was called The Warehouse. And then there was the, the original Grandma's, and uh-huh. those are the two places. Everything else is sort of a junkyard, wow. like salvage yards, be, those buildings that are all reconstituted and, and have all kinds of commercial properties in there, yeah. all, all kinds of stuff going on. They, those are just vacant buildings. It, it was rough. It was a sailor's town. It was a hard town. That city changed itself the former mayor um, uh, Don Ness brought a cool factor to the city of Duluth that maybe it didn't have and maybe needed someone to say hey we're cool too and I'm with you mm-hmm. you go up there now and the boardwalk is new and yeah and I mean it it's it's awesome yeah it but it's not that awesome in January <laughs> for a month straight it yeah. was it's a rough hard winter up there but it's a hockey it's a hockey community it's got its own sense of history up there for hockey. And, uh, you know, a bunch of great people have done great things to make it better in, since I was there. Yeah. Like, there's just been a lot of community involvement to build the heritage rinks up there. Mm-hmm. It, it's really got a good, it's got its own identity and it's part of Minnesota. But it kind of protects its own identity as well. It's a neat place. Yeah, it is. Uh, love the Duluth Coffee Company. I know, shocking, <laughs> shockingly. And Bruce Siski is up there, uh, the great play-by-play guy for the uh, for uh, University of Minnesota Duluth. Uh, does radio up there and occasionally freelances for the Athletic. Again, you're listening to Straight from the Source uh, with Michael Russo. Tom Curvers is my guest. To subscribe to the uh, the Athletic, theathletic.com slash Straight from the Source. Um, Let's go on to your NHL career. Um, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, you were you you had an interesting one. You had a long NHL career, a good NHL career, but you were one of the first people that kind of uh, we were talking the, that your flight down here to meet the team here in Arizona. You were watching, uh, I think, the Russian Five movie on there, and you were one of the first players to ever really lose your job with the downfall of the Iron Curtain when Slava Fedosov came over here. You were also uh, legendary in Toronto Maple Leafs history because you were acquired for a first round pick that became Hall of Famer Scott Niedermeyer. Uh, kind of let's let's talk about some of that stuff. Well, the, I, Where I'm to a, begin. I'm, I'm somewhat of a Fedosov Niedermeyer sandwich. Yeah, I know. So so 
as we were talking yesterday, I watched this Gorbachev documentary on the flight down to Phoenix the other day on Tuesday. And, you know, Perestroika and Glasnost, we all know a little bit about that. And But I, I, I was connecting the dots in my head. Like, that's going on in the early 80s when Gorbachev assumed power. And, and then in 89, after I had my best year in the NHL, statistically, and we had a good playoff run in 88 in Jersey and and uh, you know things were i was kind of in the guts of my career then and and had a good role with a pretty good young team and we kind of face planted in 88 89 and and lou was working the back scenes to get fedosov over to play for the devils they had drafted him you know in a late round pick just sort of a when no one knew that those guys could come over and he got him and all of a sudden i'm sitting there and and now we have Fedosov on our team, a left shot power play D. <laughs> so who are you going to pick, right? And and so he comes in, and, and I, only, I was at one training camp with him, and he's an impressive guy. I didn't get a chance to get to know him as a teammate. I kind of wish I would have, but he basically shoved me out of my job. And that's when I got traded to Toronto for the first round. It's this is Now, this is October of 89. It's actually my mother's birthday of eight, 1989, October 16th. And I get traded to Toronto for a first-round pick in the 91 draft. So I don't see any of this stuff coming. I, I didn't really want to go to Toronto. And it was, uh, I had played a couple years in Canada, and the tax rates were crazy. And, and it just wasn't all that appealing. But I went, and I really liked Toronto. It, it, it was, our, our team was actually good in 89-90. We were, 500 was good for what they had been through the previous couple years. And uh, and then you know, there was pressure right away because the 91 draft was the Lindros draft. He's from Toronto. And, you know, the storylines there with him not wanting to play in Quebec. And here I was wearing a Leafs jersey, and I was preventing them from having any chance for Lindros. So that was the front end of it. And then over time, it became the Niedermeyer factor when they picked or, uh, uh, third. Yeah, jersey yeah. picked third in that draft because... In 1991, we face-planted in Toronto, and Jersey got the third pick in the draft, and Scott Niedermeyer became what he is, a Hall of Famer. He'd be one of the most decorated team-winning hockey players of all time at every level yeah. that he ever played. And somehow I get connected to these guys, and you know what? It, it, it's been kind of funny, kind of like Lemony Snicket's, like, I didn't do anything to deserve some of this, yeah. but I am mentioned in the same breath with a couple of big time <laughs> players. So it's not all bad either. Yeah. At least they don't like, you know, like we were in Madison square garden the other day and they still to this day do the Potvin sucks. Oh. And I was like, Isn't at least great? they haven't done that in Toronto or like every five minutes in a game, they just scream curver sucks. No. And at some point here, I'm going to have to sit my boys down who are 11 and 13 now and explain that I'm, I'm the Herschel Walker trade for the <laughs> Leafs. And they don't have any comprehension of that. My wife can't co quite figure out what all that means. Um, but hockey people know. And some good digs come my way. And, and at this point, you laugh at all. You laugh with everybody. It's not, there's nothing you can do. I've learned a lot more on this side of the game. Yeah. You don't control very much. And as a player, you control your effort and your attitude. Yeah. And that's about it. You could do a lot of stories like that. I, in Florida, I remember the the Panthers traded their first 
um, round pick in 1997-98 to the San Jose Sharks for Victor Kozlov and I think Alex Hicks, Alex Hicks, who's coincidentally actually assistant coach down it's the road here. At, uh, yeah, yeah. here at Arizona State. Um, and I think he was in that trade. But regardless, Kozlov was the name. Like, Curvers was the name for that pick. And uh, then the Panthers face-planted. Second half of the season, they have a 13-game losing streak and a separate 15-game winless streak. It was uh, awful time to be covering the Florida Panthers. And um, so they wind up winning the lottery, and that was the year of Vincent LaCavia. And San Jose, coincidentally, also traded that pick to Tampa Bay. So because Florida won the lottery, Tampa Bay acquired the pick from San Jose, and they get Vincent LaCavia. So the Panthers' cross-state rival gets LaCavia, wins a cup, and the Panthers had Victor Kozlov, who could have been the Mario Lemieux of Russian uh, like of a Russian player type thing. He, I used to say he was Mario. Like, uh, I mean, he had that ability. It was unbelievable, but he just never was able to bring it all together. Yeah, he was an, an immense talent. Yeah, and yeah, Six, it's a hard, five right-handed. It's it's a hard person. game. Yeah, there's a lot of great great players, as good as the best yeah. Hall of Famers, that couldn't get a, yeah. a stronghold on and being a good player in the yeah. league. Speaking of Mario, you you played a part, weren't you? Uh, he had the five the he had five different ways that you could score a goal, right? Yep. Empty netter, penalty shot, uh, power play, shorthanded, even strength. And what what was the uh, how you almost got in the way of history, if I remember? Well, right? I was the last guy uh, between him and the net on the empty netter at uh-huh. the end of the game, and my version, which I believe is backed up by video review, <laughs> is that. One, the green light went on, not the red light. Uh-huh. Two, the linesman was waving it off. Those, this stuff shows up on the video. And after the game, that you know, it, the puck went in after the buzzer. After the game, I got back to the team bus, and I'm looking at the game sheet, and the game sheet says eight to six. I'm thinking, no, the game was seven to six. They didn't count that last goal, did they? That was my impression the night of the game. You know, whatever it was, how many years later, it's the most celebrated moment in NHL yeah. history in 100 years. You can't make it up. It's crazy. And I, I wouldn't have thought about it much, but they started this. They had the tournament bracket thing, and fans voted on it. And when it got down to 16, and that was one of them, I, my good friend Todd Walsh said, you know what? You're, you're going back into history again. That, that's the one that's going to win. Yeah. And we just kind of watched it whittle down. And the last two were Bobby Orr's goal and Mario Lemieux's five goals, five ways. And, and of course, Mario wins the award. And, and I see my name in Sports Illustrated for the preview for the following season, or, or for that season, I forget which, and a story about Mario's five goals, five ways. And I'm just thinking, how do I keep bumping into these things? And, and it's comical more yeah. than anything. It's just, it I really was just is. there. I just yeah. happened to be there, and that's, a, that's quite a moment to be yeah. there. Um, so much still to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the Iowa Wild, but I do want to talk to you about, you know, I'm just looking. We're sitting here in this beautiful courtyard um, here, and it was about a year ago now that you were start that you were feeling the symptoms that led to your eventual late January diagnosis of uh, a type of lung cancer. Um, and I was reading the story that I wrote at the time again, and you have a great quote in there where you say, you know, I, I don't know why, but I was chosen for this, and I'm going to fight uh, I'm living with cancer now. Um, now we're here, you know, 10 months later, 11 months later, you're living with cancer now. Um, what has the last year been like for you 
Yeah, it's 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 hard to describe the path you get placed on, and uh, the words that I used in that quote, I think I sort of molded from my oncologist Eric Weinschel, and I remember sitting in his office uh, when it was determined it was it was uh, surgery wasn't an option at the very front end, and um, so he he became my my go-to oncologist on the treatment side, and he he kind of kind of held his hands together and he looked at me and he said well here's what we got and you're going to live with this mm-hmm. and, and that w- those are his words and i grabbed onto that right away and that that i've, I've held onto it and mm-hmm. i've shared that with others and it's a it's a strong approach and I, i'm sure it had a, you know i'm sure that's where it came from when i was talking to you that day um and that's what we're doing we're, we're living with it now i had another i've had three pet scans one a diagnosis one in august and one now here last last week and the the results have been fantastic on the last two pet scans mm-hmm. i'm in better shape dealing with my condition now according to the pet scan than i was a year ago now before diagnosis i didn't know what was bothering me but i was bothered and i was it was i was troubling and it was i wouldn't call it straight out pain but there was some pain involved and the this uh, so i'm on a medication now i take an oral uh targeted chemo program i take a pill a day it's called tegrisso it's called tegrisso and uh, it it is far more potent for chemo application to my particular cancer i was a fortunate uh, match three percent of people match this uh, this targeted uh, chemo that they have in place and um, so I, i take the i take the pill and it's reduced the tumor it's cleared out some of the other things that were causing problems in my right lung, and uh, according to the PET scans, it's it's just it's wrapped it it's stopped the progression of the cancer. So I I feel good, and I'm, I've had good news now in August, good news now in December, and um, you know that's that's just the way. That's four month. It's four months in scans now. That's that's my that's my life cycle, and and so. Uh, the last year, I've learned quite a bit about, one, how strong this community that we're talking about. We, this hockey community is a source of strength almost daily. If I'd be surprised if it wasn't daily. I didn't have a note on my phone or a phone call checking in and seeing how you're doing. You know, friends and teammates and guys, guys that I've met that are fighting cancer themselves in the hockey world, one guy's... A scout, Brian Renfrew, is a scout for Winnipeg who reached out and, and he's on an oral plan and he's ha- he's a success story. He's done with his protocol and he's he's been declared cancer free. He was the first guy that you know. There's a few people that reached out to me and you know wanted to compare stories and compare notes, but he was the first guy that reached out with what I considered real similar, and I tapped into him and for some guidance and some some um, some more information. He was handling it and scouting and uh it really helped me so brian actually stood with me to do the let's play hockey on hockey fights cancer night at the wild game last month i asked him and he showed up with his wife and i was happy that he was there and we keep in touch regularly and so all kinds of people in all kinds of ways have have lend a hand and walking into the arena here the last couple days I walked into Jason Rudy, one of the equipment managers for the Coyotes. His mother's got lung cancer. We had a uh, we had a couple of texts back and forth in the summer. 
you learn how to help others. Yeah. And, and I, I think I have in a few cases. And I would say the most recent, I had a very difficult but rewarding phone call with Guy Lapointe. Yeah. Uh, about 10 days ago. Mm-hmm. And it brought me back to my beginning and, and how difficult it was. And he was scared, and he probably is scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think having been there, different than having been close to someone with it, having been there myself, you learn some things that you can pass along. And really, that that's about the best you can do with this is try to help the next guy. And the ne- it's around it's around us all everywhere. And, and so I've tried to apply that. And, and one uh, thing that happened this summer is it seemed like you and Bill Zito were inspiring each other, right? I mean, Bill Zito's wife has cancer. Yes. It's his wife. And um, talk about that. Uh, you both, uh, he... he did a big bike race. You did a big run. Yes, yes. So I read about uh, Bill's wife um, being diagnosed and his story of taking her for treatment and taking her for consultations and seeing on the wall, I think seeing a, uh, a deal for, for a 100-mile bike race. And, and Bill's, you know, wasn't exactly in perfect bike 100-mile bike race shape. But he decided to do it. And I, I, I got the information and, and just kind of reached out to him and we had a conversation and I thought to myself, hell, he's riding 100 miles, I can run a 10K. So I ran a 10K for um, a Breath of Hope Lung Foundation based in Wyzetta and uh, it was a great experience. And Bill was the, he was the reason for it. He was, he was the inspiring force behind it. Yeah. And then we connected on it. We talked about it quite a bit. And it was good for both of us. And it, it turned out to be a great family morning for my family. We, we had a nice time at the event uh, around Lake Harriet a couple times. I finished. I was happy with that. And we, we actually helped them raise over $100,000. I believe Bill raised closer to 150000 on his own. Yeah. So he went after this like a madman on the fundraising side. I was shocked at the amount of generosity just because it got a little bit of uh, media attention and and it just blew up in a short time and i didn't pursue the fundraising part of it in the way bill bills he had a mark he wanted to break a record and but but it we kind of got connected and it it did a nice it did a nice number on the amount of money i was able to raise and and I'm, i'm happy about that and it was a it was really a a good thing it was a, it was an inspiring thing for us in the summer yep bill zito is a uh by the way a former agent who i uh, that's uh when i really dealt with him the most but he is uh now the longtime uh, assistant gm actually i think his title has changed i think he got a promotion if i'm right uh yeah. with uh your and in columbus um let me ask you you know the, one of the most touching parts of that story we talked about your the brotherhood but we talked a lot about your family and and uh you know how your brother Mike and, and wife Heather are were av- are medical advocates for you, but you have four children, um, two very young, you know, young boys. Um, how have how have they handled kind of the new normal uh, for the family um, during this whole last year? Well, they were wide-eyed in the first month, mm-hmm. and 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 I would think appropriately scared. The first month was difficult because the mental anguish and shock of the diagnosis, but also. I had two biopsies done around that time, about two weeks apart, and I it was painful. Uh, so they were into my lung, and then they were into my lymph nodes and my sternum, 
and it you know it left a little mark it took about a month of healing for i had a i had a difficult time speaking and breathing i, I was i would wheeze while i was speaking and i think it scared everyone that i saw and i know a, one of my good friends sandy smith drove down from brainerd just to hang out for an afternoon and he told me later he told me this summer he said when i drove away i thought wow he doesn't have he doesn't have long to go but i was coming out of the biopsies and i was having a hard time with while well, you're dealing with everything mentally and physically and it was really challenging and i think the boys were scared but i think they i think they absorbed enough and we've never shielded them from say a phone call or a conversation they they've been never got too bothered when they'd be around the corner listening and i think they were able to absorb the fact that all right we got trouble here but we're going to manage it and i'm proud of the way they've they've dealt with it they're it's not a daily conversation topic it was last week with the scans and the results and and but they're they're handling it really well i've i've been charmed by my daughters uh dealing with it uh, my oldest daughter has taken over our relationship in a really neat way madison has become the the uh the aggressive we're, do, we're doing something on Saturday. We're going to go to a movie, Dad. We're going to go do this. She's kind of taken that over. Most of us, when we have children in their 20s, are, are begging them to come spend time with us. And she's got plenty going on. But she makes time, and she plans things out for us to do. And that's been really charming. My younger daughter, Rose, is, is uh, returning from the University of Kansas. She's going to transfer to the University of Minnesota. And we'll, we'll get – she's she is – been charming as well she just hasn't been as near proximity has has had her away for a few months now and and uh, they're doing very well with it as well and and so it's been uh, it's been a life lesson for them and trying yeah. to trying to impart some tools for them to deal with things that come their way in life Madison was one that you went to the Trample by Turtles concert with, right? In correct. Yeah, correct. That's awesome. Up, yep. We went, went and saw them and, and <laughs> Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats up in uh, Fargo. Yeah. So we yeah. had a nice we had a nice time there. That was the only time I've seen Trample by Turtles. I was impressed. Yeah, yeah. David Simonetta from Trample by Turtles is who donated uh, Midnight on the Interstate uh, for this podcast uh, as well uh, for the opening and closing songs. Um, let's do this. I do want to talk to you a lot about the Iowa Wild and, and also your role here now uh, with Bill Guerin, um, but this is kind of the end of the free uh, version. Uh, please rate and subscribe straight from the source on Apple, and if you click on the show URL, which is theathletic.com slash straight from the source, you'll get 40% off their subscription. And if you want to hear the full version of this podcast ad-free, uh, where we go a bit longer, it's not uh, as abbreviated with Tom Curvers here, uh, make sure to subscribe to The Athletic now. Thanks, Tom, for joining. My pleasure, Mike. Love and love and nothing else It's all I need